0: Right. A
1: master dashboard, that's the first dashboard you should always build. That should cover all your top questions. It's like a five-minute every day everyone should look at. Basically answers, is the business healthy? Is there a file I need to put out today? Or is something exploding from a feature perspective? I need to really jump on the opportunity. You're listening to SeedCamp Firsts the definitive guide to help early-stage founders get their companies off the ground, brought to you exclusively through the wisdom and lessons learned from some of the brightest minds across the Seedcamp Nation.
0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of Seacamp Firsts. I'm Devin Hunt, venture partner at Seacamp. And on this episode, I'm very excited to welcome Candice Wren to the stage. She's going to be talking about all things data and product and how it relates to building a great product at your startup. So Candice, Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. For those who aren't familiar with her, Candice is one of the founders of 173 Tech, a consultancy that focuses on helping companies really understand their data and making better product decisions from it. But of course, maybe more notably, before that, Candice was the first data person at Bumble where she went and built their whole analytics function, sort of went from zero to everything they have today that allows Bumble to be one of the most prolific and premier dating platforms in the world. But, you know, enough for me. Candice, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Devin. Really great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. I, mean, I mean, thank you for being here. It would be great if you gave us a little bit more background on how you became so steeped in sort of the data practice and, and building great products using companies' own data.
1: Mm. So I guess you mentioned the journey at Bumble. Prior to that, I had a few other gigs, but all in data. By nature, I'm a data geek to start with. And then Bumble is where we really got into startups and how to use consumer data and make the best user experience within that dating environment, uh, which is Bumble. So I was there from the very beginning, building the, the team up building the analytics function, all the way to the P exit at 2019, which we exited for $3 billion. So that was a great success. Yeah, and The team did some really great works all across the product, finance, marketing, everything you can think of that touches consumer revenue business data.
0: It's interesting because when you think of a success like Bumble, you're like, oh, of course, all the data they have from all the customer interactions, all the stuff that happens on the platform, it must have been like quite an experience to arrive and sort of say like get started help we need to get started maybe as a way to sort of kick off this conversation how did you approach that like what much to seem like a mammoth task how do you get started when you're looking at because when you joined bumble was starting to really pick up steam right there were a lot of people using the platform so it wasn't like you had this sort of green field to start thinking you had to start from day one right so wh- where did you begin how do you think about that
1: so Bombay had a really interesting story. It was part of a bigger group called Badu. Mm-hmm. And at uh, Badu you're absolutely right. We had like about a quarter of a billion users already before we started thinking about having the stack. And we're speaking of some eight years ago when we started this journey back in 2015. And we don't have the luxury of today, this open source tools. But the mentality is the same. You start from where you are, spending the most time trying to figure out what is what, right? And that Mm -hmm. time for Bumble and Purdue is A-B testing. So we spend about 90% of the time figuring out, did this work, did this not? And lots of analysts writing codes, pulling data. So the first thing was actually automating that part. And prior to that, I guess there's a bigger story about the data stack. is about having the right tool, having the right data strategy, knowing what to track, and not tracking everything.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I want to dive into the A/B test thing just real quick, mm. and we might come back to this later. But you know, that's sort of one of those processes that everyone always talks about. Oh, we need to A/B test this. We need to do that. Why, why was A/B testing sort of the, the go-to technique at Bumble so early on. Why was that the tool you picked off the shelf to start really leveraging?
1: So, I think it's similar to any company that's growing so fast. You attract really great product managers, right? And together with the founders, you have always so many amazing ideas, right? And at any point in time, I think Bumble at some point were running like a thousand tests a day. It just reflects wow. you know, the brain power, <laughs> yeah. So if you're at earlier stage, you you still have more. I guess the idea is you have more things you want to do than you have resources, right? You can't right. possibly release a thousand different things at one point. And A-B testing become, and also you're not always right about the idea. Sometimes the idea feels amazing, definitely something that would pick up. But once you release it to your customers, you realize, okay, maybe it's not what they want. Um, Maybe Mm. it's a different form what they wanted. So you really need that feedback to validate, you know, what you are trying to do. And sometimes without A-B testing, prior to that, we'll be releasing features and had a very bad effect in terms of. Activity or revenue and you don't want that to happen when you have half a billion customers on the platform so you want to make sure you control that you know the effect of it quickly before you go develop it for long well. so the other element is the mvp process iterative approach
0: right so this is getting sort of product discovery right this is the product discovery process so maybe talk me through your sort of internal framework on product discovery and data because i think Everyone's always thinking about data like post-feature launch, post-customer like interaction. How do you get that data-driven thought process before you get to that stage? Talk me through your framework there.
1: Yeah, so you're absolutely right. People will release a feature because it's just so keen to get the Mm -hmm. product out there.
0: That's me. (laughs) That's me.
1: (laughs) I bet. You know, all brilliant founders do that. I completely get it. But once you have the feature out... If you don't know how people are using it and what they're doing with it, what they like and dislike, it's very hard for you to improve it. That's mm. it. So it's about having visibility and having feedback from your real customers. When you're building out the is in the founder's head, what they believe, what the market will want, most of the time you'll be right. Most of the time you need tweaking. Sometimes you need pivoting as well. So thinking about data is more how the customers are using my features, you know, there will be steps towards what you're building. Like when they are using this product, and you want to know, okay, is some steps that is tripping people over. So it's really helping you perfect the idea, and sometimes again helping you change the idea, pivoting it or improving it. Is some um, based on what customers are doing.
0: Right. And so, how, how do you think about building those MVPs? Then, I mean, it's hard to discuss about going really concrete, but what does a good MVP, like minimum viable I guess, test in this case look like? Because, you know, it's always very easy to just build it, you know, I oh, will just build it and ship it. How do you structure that to get the highest impact for like data extracted from the test so you can mm-hmm. make a better decision?
1: So I guess there's two things here. One, you know, what is an MVP? Like, yeah. <laughs> minimum is minimum. That's a probably a better question for a product manager. But from a data perspective, you have an idea. You know, there's a feature you want to release. What is the minimum you can do for people to get the benefit of this feature without having to make it perfect? So, again, which I understand, a lot of PMs yeah. and founders want everything to be perfect before it goes out. There's no time for perfection. At, I would say, any point of a startup life, you need to make sure you get the idea out. So I guess little things like different colors of buttons, explanations, anything you can get out there quickly for the users to try it out, that will be the MVP you should aim for. On the data side, is about tracking their behavior. So going through the steps of this feature and the conversion funnel. So those are the things to think about from the data side.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. And I think you you sort of mentioned one of the tropes that I always like to fight against, which is does the button color really matter? And I'm sure like large scale, those like half a point movements are extremely important. But honestly, like at the MVP stage. Like you you talked about the funnel. And that's something I love to bring up, which is are we moving people through our customer journey? And I know one of the things you you mentioned are like sort of pre-chat to this podcast is this idea of the user journey as your source of data. What does that mean? Talk me through that because I love that framework.
1: Yeah, so... We can consider user journey in many, many different ways. But on a very high level, again, if we focus on the the beginning of a startup life, um, you want to make sure you concentrate on the important bit, right? And user journey, think of it as a customer's life cycle with you. Mm. And I tend to think of it from left to right, although it's not always a linear Mm -hmm. journey. So if we think about an app, let's take Bumble, for example. Yes, please. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so they would need to know about it. Um, so there's the awareness. And then, you know, first time they get to your app is download. And then they need to register. And then they need to create a profile. And then they start voting. So they start swiping. And then they have a match. And they start chatting with this person. And then hopefully they will go on a date and, you know, probably marry, have kids. Right? So this is the user journey as per how the, the user would make the moves out of the app. And obviously, there's other things as well from an app perspective. So, for example, subscribing to a paid product. And after that, there are things that we think about retaining them as a subscriber. So a payer, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, a lot of things relating to that, retentions, churn. But if you think about this user journey, you want to take them from left to right. When they register, you want them to fill in a profile once they get there you want them to do the next thing so always push them onwards and on a high level those are the data points you want to know how many people registered and how many people got to each step and how quickly they get to each step
0: so and this sort of transitions into a great question i think a lot of early product makers have which is where do i get this data from right there's the classic problem of the, the default analytics packages are almost always geared towards external marketing outside the product, not in this internal sense, which we're actually hyper-focused on in the early stages, right? But how do you think about this? When you, maybe at 173 Tech, when you approach newer products, where did you get the data from? And what did you have to maybe do to actually find the data in the first place?
1: Yeah, I think this will be surprising to a lot of people, but the data you need, you actually already have. This is a thing. Yes. <laughs> The thing is, we call this operational data, reason being, for your app to operate, you need this data. You need to know who registered, you need to know who paid, you need to know who swiped on whom. Otherwise, your app won't function, right? So you will have this data already somewhere. Usually, it's your backend database. So. Mm-hmm. Postgres is a great example. My SQLite, you know, whichever you're using at this early stage. But this data is already in there. It's just not in a form that's very easy to digest or consume by everyone. So you typically have PMs or founders going to the engineer trying to pull data out of that. Your backend database is a great source, and data is already in there. The second thing, you know, if you are a, a e-commerce or web-heavy business. Uh, Google Analytics 4. So you will have all the data in there in GA4 already to help you answer this question.
0: Right. And so what do you recommend like early founders sort of, because the tricky thing with the data is there. This is a huge revelation for me too. Like my first business, it was like, oh yeah, everything we need to know is in our database. I just need to spend some time actually extracting it, which for me isn't difficult as an engineer, but obviously if you're not an engineer, it can become extremely difficult. How do you approach that Information sharing because it, it feels like a chore, right? It doesn't feel natural to do. So, how do you do that?
1: I get that it is again in a bit of a process way. So, starting from the very high level, and we typically when we see challenges within the you know early stage of founders or senior management team to find the data is about when they see different data sources they don't match. For example, J four and back end data or your uh, CRM system numbers don't match or they don't know what the numbers mean or what they say or the changes. So J4 data will change between today to last month. So those kind of things becomes really tricky. So people lose patience, people lose trust in the data and people just can't be bothered. Yeah. So to your question, how do we approach it? First of all, it's about thinking. What do you need? I know this is sound really naive or basic, but it's really what is your number one thing? The north star, uh, we like to call it. What are you aiming for? Um, for the early stages, typically, you know, will be five thousand registrations, for example, five thousand downloads. Right.
0: So, what's your goal? Like, what do you need to sure. accomplish to show that that this whole product's working, your whole idea's clicking? Right.
1: Hundred percent. Hundred percent. That could be anything, you know, downloads or. 1,000 paid users, whatever that might be. You have that one number. It might be two uh, or three, but you have that one thing that is the most important to you. And once you nail that down, then you started peeling it, right? So if you want 5,000 payers, what do we need to do? Okay, yes. assuming conversion 10%, then we need 50,000 registrations, right? And then you started thinking about what they need to do to get there. So that's the user journey we talked about. And then all of a sudden you have a list of KPIs that you needed. And that will be data points you need to track. So and once you have that, it's much easier for the engineer to say, okay, this is what the business needs. This is the type of action we need number of feedback on. And so at that point, they just need to do a bit of a data audit, a tracking audit to say, okay, you want to know how many people paid, right? And payers is reflected in this particular number. Right. Yeah. And this is here. Right. Yep. So this is step one. So you have curated what you need and what they are in the technical sense within your database. Yep. If you have that one-on-one and you have the definition completely sealed. You'll be surprised, you know, when people say active users, there could be 10 different definitions within a company. hundred so I mean, percent. Yeah. So this process is about that as well. So it's about what we want to know, exactly what they mean, how they translate it into the technical sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is such a good piece of advice, because I think a lot of people take what I call a bottom-up approach here, which is we have these tools, we've installed them, what can we extract from the data that these tools give us, where this is one of the few scenarios where you actually want to go top-down, which is, say, if you're like a, a SaaS-type company, like it's retained subscriptions, right? That's the ultimate great sort of heartbeat of a company that has mm-hmm. any sort of SaaS play, and then you work backwards from there. What does a retained subscription look like? Well, they have at least three months of uploaded data on our platform, and then you know, they registered and they brought, invited one team member. And then there's all these, you can work backwards, right? That's basically what you're saying. And then you might discover you, you don't need customer I.O. or FAT or anything. It's actually all in your database or in your Stripe dashboard, maybe. That gives you enough to get started, right? Just mm. to start.
1: 100%. I think you mentioned a really good point about adding a team member. So that's like the aha moment, right? That's the moment you can predict someone is going to be, you know, a retained user. So there's a lot of things That's really interesting there as well. So you can focus on getting people through that step when they realize the full benefit of the SaaS product and they will become payers and retain payers.
0: This is a bit madcap. It'd be fun to quickly run through maybe what you would... Best guess would be like a North Star metric for different styles of businesses. Like we just talked about SaaS and especially like collaborative SaaS, obviously like retained payments and invited team members is super powerful. But what about a consumer app? What sort of North Star metrics do you keep in the back of your head like a Bumble?
1: There's a few things here. If you have subscription product, no matter if you're a consumer, SaaS, subscribe, retained payers is always a number one or one of the top things to yeah. begin. When you get to that stage, there are so many things that will contribute to that number. And the thing with, especially for SaaS, retained payers is a bit hard to look at because it's a year later, right? Most yep. of the time you have a yearly yep. subscription. So you actually can't wait for a year to say, are they retained or not? Could yeah,
0: say. that's way too long. <laughs>
1: exactly. So maybe two months into their their journey with you, even though they're still paid, they got fed up about something. And sure. they, they actually turned already. So, you know, in that sense, activity or user engagement becomes really important. And that's always a lead indicator of churn uh, or retention. So you really want to know the activity levels of the company. So that goes back to a list of metrics, for example, your active users. And beyond that, we have this concept called activity score. And that's, yeah, so that is, you know, relating to feature analytics. So what are they doing? It's about the intensity of that activity. So activity user is about yes or no. Are they active or not? The activity score is about how much they're active. Are they becoming more and more active within your app or they are dropping? And that is a really good indication whether they will be continue to pay or they will change in a year time. So this activity scoring is really important and then there will be things like you start quantifying that, you start segmenting that among your users and then there's a whole bunch of things you can do from a CRM perspective at the back of that. But going back to your question on what are the top things you would aim for, if it's a North Star, it's good to keep it simple and different stages will be, again, different. If you are just at the very beginning, registered users, that could be a good one. Mm -hmm. Um, No aha moment. So you know, what you said before, added one team members to a SaaS product. So those are the things you need to collect the data and look backwards to say, okay, for people who've done a whole bunch of things, which one thing lead to something that something could be payment of course yeah of course. And,
0: and, and you mentioned activity score and i'm sure a lot of listeners are, are quickly jumping to some of the classic ones like your monthly actives weekly actives daily actives that's one of those interesting metrics where it's so contextual to the type of product how do you sort of pick it so it's not difficult but it's being at least reflective on how true the activity is how do you think about those sort of very traditional metrics
1: those metrics, they are a very good signal to have. They tend to be vanity metrics in practice. Yes. And you'll be surprised how easily you can influence those numbers. Let's take active user, for example. If you spam all your users with a notification or an email, mm-hmm. your, your active user will jump right away, right? And what you will see following that is you will dip because a percentage of them will be really pissed off and they will yes. never Right. So that's why these numbers are so easily manipulated um, and doesn't truly reflect the health of the business. Right. So, this is where you get into the level of activities. So, let's take a dating app, for example, again. Mm -hmm. So, what would people do within a dating app? So, they swipe, uh, they match, they chat. Right. So, those are the key things they do. And if you start thinking about in those sense, those are the core features within your app. And you start looking at the intensity now. So, how many swipes we have in a day? You know, on a daily level, how many matches? So now you have a conversion already. So let's say out of a thousand votes, you have a hundred matches. Out of a hundred matches, let's say five hundred went on to conversations, and then the conversations, um, we have this thing called meaningful or not meaningful conversation. As in the the conversation maybe the girl said hi, and then that's it. You know, yep. that's not meaningful. Yep. You want you to continue, right? So those are the things you want to capture within your reporting or visualization. So mm-hmm. you, know, you have the MAU or DAU on top, give you a high-level overview. Okay, you know, we have active users coming back every day. But then you go down a bit further to say, okay, people are coming in. Are they doing more? Are they doing the same level? So are they being more active within the app? So those are the key things. That's a real health of your business.
0: Nice. It makes sense. And you mentioned this because as your product becomes more complex, it, it starts to move away from like full app analytics down to the feature analytics. Right. So talk me through what the difference is there, because I think this is one of those things where a lot of the terminology starts to get a little confusing. So talking about feature analytics and, and sort of how you approach them when you're setting those up for the first time.
1: Yeah, so features, uh, those are the things that people could do within the app. So mm-hmm. if you have a product, so it could be sharing a document with people, creating a document, bringing your team on board, those kind of things. So you have a list of features now. And within the list of features, what is more important than others and what relates to retention the most? And then when it comes to features, you can treat them as a separate app itself right? So the same question we have, are they active within that feature? So, oh, we go back a step. Are people using this feature? So we have a conversion funnel already, right? Let's say you have a feature that is maybe an HR system that records holidays, right? So the holiday feature. So how many companies are using that, right? That's the first thing. So that's a conversion. That's almost like registration of your app, but within the feature sense. Are they using it? And then there's a feature retention. So are they coming back to use it every month? Right. And, you know, and then this the intensity are more people using that feature going forward. So it's almost like an app within an app uh, on the feature level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All the things we talked about is still the same. There is a user journey within the feature as well. There's the retention we want to think about. And there is the relationship between that feature to your app. Right? So how does it contribute to the success of the app? Right. So lots of questions you can ask here. People who use this feature, are they more active than others are more likely to pay right and then all of a sudden you have a feedback okay these features is really some features that are really popular but doesn't lead to payment which is still okay it's just you will treat them slightly differently there might be features that's really really popular people keep using it and you're not charging for so that's something to think about as well do we want to move that feature into the paid um, feature list Mm -hmm. so there's many things when it comes to feature retention. So it's very similar to the app tracking we talked about, but then there's a relationship how they relate to the overall health of the app as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Now that makes sense. And this is excellent because this sort of segues really nicely into sort of the next major question I want to dig into, which is starting to actually make this data available amongst teams. You know, we've sort of gone from a very simple early stage companies implementation now to features and stuff like that, how do you start collecting this data and sharing it with the right people who matter, be it like the engineers or a stakeholder or just senior management to show things are going okay. I mean, obviously when it's just the couple founders, maybe one founding engineer, everyone's in the same room. It's easy to just keep this discussion flowing. And then at some point it stops, right? It stops getting siloed. So I'd love you to talk me through not only the tools you use to start to collect and organize and make sense of this data, but how you actually get people to look at it, (laughs) to actually pay attention to it. So it's not... Not like, oh, we collected it. We we collected it. Great. Anyway, we're going to go do the thing we want to do anywhere. Right? They're actually using the data to make real decisions. Talk me through like maybe how you start from square one and then how you start to layer on process or tools or not or whatever you've sort of seen work effectively.
1: Mm. Um, that's a great question. So we talked a little bit about, you know, the definition of data before. What do you need to track? Mm-hmm. And what it means, and we typically call that a data dictionary. So that's the first step, you know. It's relating to the data strategy. So, what are the questions you're trying to answer? What is the business? What is important? What are you aiming for? And then you peel it down to all the KPIs you need to reach to get there. Mm -hmm. Right. And then all of a sudden you have a data dictionary. So this is something everybody is involved. So data
0: dictionary. So it's sort of your go to guide for all the data of your company like that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And the purpose of it is to make it available for everyone and is digestible for both the business and the engineers. So Mm. you capture, you know, what is a matrix called? What is its definition from a business perspective? And where is the source data? right and that's what engineers so everyone now is on the same page this is what he means and this is how we get it right um, and I mean,
0: this that is... makes a lot
1: of sense. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes data is not that it's not okay science. But it, you know, there's a few things, very disciplinary things you have to do to make life super easy for you. So the first thing is a data dictionary. And this is really getting people in the room, discussions, everybody needs on the same page. And also as your team expands, this is something you can give it to people really easily. If you have new PMs, new any staff members. So that's the first thing. And then you need to start thinking about your data stack. So, you know, what you talked about, what do you need? Um, do you need anything at all? You, what do you currently have? So lots of companies at the early stage, you already have GA4, which is not that bad. You know, a lot of people struggle with GA4. Typically the challenge I right hear is data don't match, data changes. So a, a bit of a data audit. So you have a data dictionary Go into what are you tracking? And that will Already give you a working data stack for right. your team share it with everyone, but to go for a step later, um, you really want to do a bit of manipulation of the data so it goes into a form that's really easily digested. So those are the things. Uh, so what does uh, that look like? This is the, this. <laughs> I think
0: this is the thing that people would love to just get an example of. What is easy digestible? Like where do you put it? Where does it live? You give me an example from maybe one of the one seven three tech days. What do you give? The CEO at the end of it, what do you give the product manager or the uh, some other, I don't know, whatever, external stakeholder? What do you give them?
1: So, so the end thing is a dashboard, right? A right. master dashboard, like we like to call. That's the first dashboard you should always build. Um, that should cover all your top questions. So we had that at Bumble as well. It's like a five-minute every day everyone should look at. Basically answers, is a is business healthy? You know, is there a file I need to put out today? Or is something exploding from a feature perspective? I need to really jump on the opportunity. So that's the master dashboard. You want to keep it very high level and very straight to the point. So that typically captures your North Star metrics. It captures, you know, from the acquisition side, how many new users coming in. Uh, You want a section on the engagement, so the level of what people are doing. And the retention side. If you are post money, then as in pro- monetization, you yeah. want to have a section on subscriptions or revenue, repeat purchases. So that's your master and what
0: did that? I, mean, I love specifics. What did that look like at Bumble? What was the actual thing people stared
1: at? Is uh, it is a dashboard uh, from so it was inter- a
0: custom made like it was a custom made internal yes, dashboard. Yeah. Ah,
1: this is the thing you can have out of the box. So J4 is very much out of the box, but at some point you feel like you're in the box, basically. Yeah, uh,
0: at, at least for the first two years, it was a Google Sheet. We ran a bunch of scripts and it dumped it into a Google Sheet and the idea being that like, yeah, it gave us all the top line metrics. But if you wanted to clone this sheet and play with stuff, then all the raw data was there. And there was a bit of a breakthrough for us because beforehand it was like Seb and I running SQL queries and just like popping in an email and sending it to Chris and the rest of the team. But we were shooting ourselves in the foot because those people wanted to figure out more from that data. And we basically said, do all the extra work. Like, no, put it in that thing that, the you know, yeah. spreadsheets are the universal tool of all startups, right? And every company nowadays, right? It was like a nice dashboard I guess I want to say is I felt it was okay to just have it in a spreadsheet for a long time. (laughs) It was okay. It's
1: absolutely fine, you know. If you're not spending a lot of time curating the data, because as you grow, there might be you know data accuracy issues. Um, Yeah, this is
0: early stage. This is the first couple of years, right? This wasn't pre pre seed, or I guess it was seed seed stage back then. But yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, if you're, if you're not spending a lot of time on it and giving you great feedback, absolutely. And I'm guessing you've done all the hard work about what you want. And mm-hmm. the definition of it sounds like you have exactly that automated within spreadsheet. I mean, what you use is actually just, it, it doesn't matter, all roads lead to Rome, right? Mm-hmm. The, the key thing is knowing what you need to know and making sure it's accurate. And at some point, you want this to be automated because you're sharing with a lot of people. And you mentioned people want to dig into that data, right? They want to explore a bit more. And this is where you want to centralize all your data and have, you know, it could be a database still. could be still Postgres, or you might want a data warehouse.
0: Yeah. The, this the, days the, is, the very ominous data warehouse that we all have to <laughs> deal with nowadays. Yeah. And that brings me to sort of like a tangential question of this, which is mm-hmm. like, how do you manage requests and and changes to both the data dictionary and what the dashboard should be representing as things start to grow more complex, right? Because how, how, you know, I'm sure the dashboard's here and then maybe it's a product manager from one team or maybe someone from the C-suite's like, I just want to know this. How do you start to handle those sort of much more customer requests or even massive upheavals to like what your data strategy is?
1: Mm-hmm. So once you have the master dashboard, these things don't tend to change unless... Right. At some point, your uh, active user definition change, then everything will change along with it. Um, but after this master dashboard, you absolutely have different suites of dashboard, you know, your product dashboard, your marketing dashboard, and then people have ad hoc questions, right? The one thing I wanted to say is 90% of the business question is typically answered by 10% of the data. Ah. Yeah. And that 10% of the data, you can curate it very, very well within your data warehouse, that everyone can go into that and self-service. And this is where we got to, you know, everybody is a data wizard. And to be there, there's a level of, obviously, the training of the, the stack, but also your data need to be curated and structured really, really, really well. It's, it's all modeled, so you can drag and drop within your dashboard, get your answers. That's what reduces the bottleneck on the data team, and they can focus on doing A lot more value driven so prediction modeling all the ai stuff we talk about now but back in the days yeah so those are the things i guess what i'm trying to say is make sure your data is modeled really really well when you're within your data warehouse and your visualization is done in a way that is super easy for people to get the insights but also drilling into if they see certain things like this marketing campaign it's amazing. Yeah, Scaling so well, tell me a bit more. What quality of the user they're bringing in? What are they doing? And your dashboard should be able to answer all that. And they might have one or two questions at the very end you couldn't answer. That's the 10%. And then that goes into a data person to help them uh, get there.
0: Yeah, structure it and build it out. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. Candice, thank you so much. We've covered so much. I'd love you to leave the audience of maybe your getting started checklist. What are the three, four, five things that they should really be not only be focused on, but like just sort of get done as people get started. Like what what yeah. would be your emergency checklist to make sure they run through?
1: Uh, the first thing would be the data dictionary. I would say keep it simple and start from the North Star and start peeling it. Don't be perfect. Capture the 90% within your 10% data. So that's one. The data dictionary. Second is a quick audit of what you're tracking. Making sure when the data engineer talk about active user is exactly how you define or a payer, how is it defined. So you have central Consistent definition of it. And then it's about having the dashboard. It could be as simple as a G sheet, it could be as simple as GA4, but you have this dashboard that everybody knows what goes in there, what does it mean, and how does it help your business.
0: So that makes perfect sense. So have the data dictionary, have that North Star, and then have a dashboard that people can actually look at <laughs> and they don't have to email you like we did for a bit <laughs> to get the data. That makes a ton of sense. Well, Candice, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of SeaCamp First. Is there anything you'd like to uh, promote or or where can people find your information if they want to learn more about what you're doing right now?
1: Uh, Absolutely, yeah. So I'm the founder of 173Tech. We help startups and scale-ups with their data practices. So if you have questions, add me on LinkedIn, reach out, or 173tech.com, that's our website, um, to learn more. And we're always happy to chat.
0: Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you out in data land, I guess.
1: Sounds great. Can't wait. Thank you so much.